Lord, thank you for all these awesome people. God, thank you that we get to be a part of your church. And Lord, that we get to be a family. Lord, that we are um, all in need of you and that that's a good place to be. Lord, because you are um, with us. You're for us. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're talking about uh, Rooted right now. That's what we've been going through as we just started this week, and we kind of led up to it, so we're kind of on that track of you know, getting our roots down deep into the Lord so that as we draw in what God wants us to draw in from who he is and at a knowledge of him and from his love and from his direction, that it actually will bear the fruit that God wants us to bear in our life and to bear in the world, to be a blessing to others. And so that's what we've been talking about. We just started a series, so we're actually going through uh, rooted as on Sundays, we're kind of talking about those topics, but then we're also uh, doing them in our small groups, which we have on Monday nights, Thursday nights, we have one Sunday afternoon. Uh, so we kind of have them sprinkled all throughout the week in order to just kind of take 10 weeks to focus on this and to really like kind of solidify ourselves. Now, one thing that happens sometimes is that when you've been a, a believer for a while, you think, well, I know a lot of stuff already. Uh, well, the Bible says that we move from glory to glory. Why? Because we're always getting more and more and more and more like Christ, more and more in his image. And, you know, I like to think I'm a lot different than I was 24 years ago, 25 years ago. You know, that was, you know, back then I was an alcoholic. I was a horrible husband. I had a lot of anger. I used to punch through doors and rip cupboards off the walls. I was a total nut job. I hated people. I hid in my closet, hid behind the clothes. And I like to think I'm so much different than that guy. Social anxiety, fear, uh, all kinds of things. All I thought about was myself. I used to, I, I'm so much different than that guy. But do you know that the gap between myself and that guy is smaller than the gap between God and the current me? He is that much greater thing that when I look back at the old me and say, well, I'm not him anymore. I'm a lot better than that. I'm a lot more like God. The actual gap this old me. Think about that for a minute. As far as you've come, your journey has just started. And I don't care if you've been serving the Lord, if you've pastored, if you've uh, been uh, ministering, if you've done all these things. Your journey has still got more left to become like Christ than you have behind you. And it will be like that. That's not going to change. You can die. You can, you can grow old and then pass away here, and you will still be closer to the old you than you are to where God is at. Because he's infinitely good. He's infinitely powerful. He is infinitely loving. All the things of God are so great that we are all in the same boat together. We all are in the spot of glad that we're not who we were, praise God, and thankful that he's taking us towards where he wants us to be. And we will always have that in common, no matter where we're at in our faith and in our faith walk. But today we're going to talk about who is God. And I'm going to look starting at uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. And this starts out with Moses. Moses has a conversation with God, and God's calling him to go back into, into Egypt and free the Israelites from slavery. And he's talking to him, and he says, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and I want you to bring them out. And so Moses has a great uh, question. He asks God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I to do that? God calls him to do something, and his first question is, who am I to do that? Who am I to go help with that? Who am I to bring change? Who am I to make a difference? Who am I? 
Well, in answering that, God doesn't really answer Moses about who Moses is. God answers about who he is. That's important because if you want to know your identity, if you want to know who you are, if you want to know what authority you have, then you need to know where you come from. You need to know what your source is. You need to know what's behind you. You need to know your DNA, like what you were made for and the purpose. So it doesn't just start with, well, what am I? What do I want to be? No, but where did you come from? That's how you find out. My daughter was asking me what kind of apple she had this morning. She's like, taste this apple, Dad. It's really good. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, then tell me what kind it is. I don't know what kind it is. She's like, you'll know. Tell me. Because I know everything. And I'm like, okay. So I taste it. Well, first it tasted like dirty fingers because she's at the stage where she picks her nose a lot. So it tasted a little extra flavorful. But it wasn't the kind of apple that I wanted. And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, you know, Dad. I'm like, I don't know. It's a Fuji. I think it's a Fuji. And so she's like, oh, a Fuji. So, but to know what that apple is, I'd have the tree. Like, oh, yeah, that's a Fuji tree, obviously. That's red delicious. You got to go back to the source to know what something is. And so this is how God answers him. God doesn't answer him by who he is, but he answers by who God himself is. If he says, surely I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, all of you will worship God on this mountain. And the word worship there actually means to serve. It doesn't mean worship like what we just did, although that is a way of serving God. It actually means to serve. So he's calling them out of serving the Egyptians as slaves, but he's not calling them to freedom, not in the sense that you think. Like, I'm calling you out of serving the Egyptians so that you can be free and do whatever you want. That's not what he's calling them to. He was freeing them from serving man and bringing them out and saying, now you can serve me because I'm the creator. I'm going to bring you out and you're going to serve me. You're going to serve God. That is what he was actually saying to them if you actually look the word up. That's what, was it. That's what his intention was. That's what the meaning was. But then Moses asked God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? They say, well, who is it? He says, what should I tell them? I don't know what to say. I'm going back into this place. This is the most powerful army on the earth right now. This is where all these things are happening. All these people are enslaved. And I'm supposed to go back and tell them to let them go and to come out. And who am I supposed to even tell them is sending me? Who is this? And he says, tell them that I am who I am. Tell them I am who I am. Well, that's not much of an answer, is it? What's your name? My name is my name. That's what it is. Well, you got to be really known to make a statement like that, right, or something. But that's what God's saying. He's like, I am. Well, what are you? I am. Whatever's been made, whatever will be, I am the start. I'm the source. I'm the one. He is the one that has the power. He is the one that has the authority. He is the one that has created. So who is God? He's the I am. He is the actual source of all things that we see. Of your life, of the world around you, of the physical world, the spiritual world, space that we're exploring, all these things, they all come from God, the originator. And he says, this is what you say to the Israelites. The I am has sent me to you. So the source, the beginning, the creator is the one that sent me to you. Why does who matter? Because it doesn't say just what is God, but who is God. Why does the who matter? This is why I think God, that the who defines God's authority, his ability, and his motivation. And we see this in our normal life. When somebody says, you know, say, say I, I come in, I say, hey, I'm going to give this to you. And you say, well, it's not from me, but it's from, well, who get, who's given it to me? Who's, who gave it to you to give to me? 
Well, we want to know why. Because one, it tells us if they had the right to give it to us, right? It also tells us like what their motivation is, what their desire, like what are they trying to do? Are they trying to manipulate me, help me, serve me? Like, like who called for this? Who gave this permission? And so God is actually uh, in who he is, gives us his authority, his ability, his motivation. And then he, through that, he assigns us our identity, our purpose, and our authority. So who is it that's sending me? Who's the one? Well, does he have, first of all, the ability and the authority to even send you? Does he have the ability and authority to give you a purpose, to give you a direction? What's his motivation? Is it to free us, to torment us? Is it to free us, to love us? Like that tells us something about who he is. And then that gives us who we are. It gives us our personality, our calling, our identity, our purpose. And we see this as we go back into Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that is the biblical worldview. That's the Christian worldview is that God created what we see. That God created. How did he create that? Did he create that in one day? Did he create it in, uh, you know, every day is a sunrise, the sunset? Did he create it every day is a thousand years? There's debate on those things. But the, the core principle, the core truth is that we believe that God created, that God made, that everything is here because God wanted to be here, that God designed it, that God put it out. And so God is the creator. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. So first of all, we see right there is that he says, let us make them in whose image? Our image. So is there a bunch of gods? So biblically, no. Biblically, there's not a bunch of gods. Biblically, there's one God. I am. He told Moses, I am the I am. And so the biblical answer to that, if you study it out, is that God is actually a triune being. There's, there's three. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a uh, such a oneness that it's as one, and yet they're totally distinct. How do you explain that? You don't. You know why? It's for people. That's why. I can give you lots of examples. Well, an Oreo, and you open it, and you got a shell, and a shell, and you got a frosting. But God's not a cookie. <laughs> He's God. How do you explain it? You don't. It's a mystery. We're not wise enough to fully understand him. We're not wise enough to fully get how he functions. You know, I got a dog, Kai. He doesn't know how I function. He doesn't know how I drive a car. He doesn't know how I play Xbox and, and beat Jason Tompkins, who's not here today and can't defend himself at Madden every time I play him. <laughs> Kai doesn't know. Kai just knows that if I have a piece of string cheese, he might get one. And that to him is all he needs to know. So we want to know God. We want to understand everything about God, but we simply don't. We simply cannot. Our brain can't process everything about who he is. But in this passage, he tells us that he is a communal being in and of himself. Some of you are kind of that on your own in some ways in the image of God. You're like three or four different people in the same day. Somebody's like, how can you be the same person that I talked to this morning? And you're like, I'm the same me. I'm like, you can't possibly be the same you. The one that I talked to this morning loved me. This one hates me. I don't understand. But we can be all these things, and we're like, well, but God can't. Well, he's so much more dynamic than us. Somehow, some way, in a miraculous way, beyond our understanding, God in and of himself is communal, which is the only possible way for the word to say that God doesn't just love, but he is love. Because love cannot be 
singular. Love requires an object, a person. It requires something to love. And so if God is love, then he's always had the capacity to love. The only way he's always had the capacity to love is if there's always been another. Somehow he is another and yet one. And able to live in perfect love and harmony. Well, that's easy. It's just himself. You try it. You try living in perfect love and harmony with just yourself. It's been a struggle for me. And I do my best. But God somehow in this makes us in his image to have a a communalness about ourselves. Not only within ourselves, but in our surroundings. Like we need relationship. We need connection. We need love. Like it's how we operate. It's who we are. And so he makes us in his likeness. This is who he is. So we know we came from that source, and so this is what we're like. This is how we are because this is how our father is. This is how our creator is. Then he says, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sea. Not about us. We're supposed to rule and we're supposed to do things. But we're talking about who is God. God is a creator. God is communal. And God is generous. Some of you have an idea of God that he's stingy. That he only gives you barely enough to live, to barely survive, barely enough care. barely. But this scripture tells us that God actually gives them all of the things of the earth. He gives them everything. Do this. You know what? Rule. Take over this. He gives them a position. He gives them a purpose. He gives them the whole world to be theirs. Some of us focus on what God tells us that we can't have, which is the trouble that Adam and Eve got into later. God says you can't do this. Well, see, God's stingy. God's restrictive. God holds back. No, God gave them everything. And he said, but if you have this, this will harm you. And so he's also a protector. He's someone that cares for us. He knows that we don't need to know everything. You know, there's things that happen. I mean, you're a kid, man. Life is free. It's fun. One of my kids sat at our kitchen island this was several years back and we walked into the kitchen and look and this kid I won't even say if it's a male or female I get in trouble later but this kid was sitting at the island bawling and she wasn't even pregnant yet (laughs) and we walked in and carried together as we always do perfect harmonious marriage we walk in and we look and she's bawling we say what's going on and she's got a stack of mail in front of her and one of them's opened and we think somebody died something's happened and she's hysterically bawling and we said what is wrong we finally calm her down what's going on she's like do you pay this every month (laughs) she had opened a bill and I looked at it and we go Yeah, and she's like, how do we live? How will I ever survive when I'm older? And we looked at it, and believe this or not, it was in Oregon, this is cheap, it's in like Texas, it was the water bill. And it was like $60, $30, so it was cheap. And we're like, oh, this is just a flush of toilets. Like we got to eat and car insurance and gas and a roof over our head and all these things. But you know what? Knowing more in the capacity that this child had, wasn't helpful. It was devastating. (laughs) There's some things that we don't know 
that God hasn't given us knowledge of, not to harm us, but because he wants us to be able to live without fear and panic and dread. (laughs) If we knew everything about everything, oh my word, we know a little bit. And if you go on TikTok or Google, you can know a little bit more. And you can start to get terrified. But God gives us some information. And he says, now I want you to have this. So he gives us, but he protects us, and he watches over us, and he cares for us. But we see all this right here. He gives us livestock and animals and creatures that move on the ground. And says, God created mankind, Genesis 1.27, in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So first of all, he says, in the image of God. So he made us like himself. Gave us value and creativity and a communal aspect and love and rulership and all these things. And he says, male and female, he created them. So God created them, male and female, but both were created in his image. Okay, so what does that tell you about the value of both? What does that tell you about the value? They both have tremendous value. It is not simply to, well, it doesn't say, well, Adam was created first and then Eve, so Adam's more valuable. God created them both in his image and gave them both value, gave them both care, gave them both instructions, and he said for them to rule over, he gave them the ability to do things in the earth, to subdue the earth. Not just one, not just male, or not just female, but he gave them both. He gave them both within their relationship, the ability to do that. Sir, he's not a cursor. God is not out to curse your life. He's not out to shrink it, to shrivel it, to destroy it, to hold it. To... God is out to bless. This is how he started. Well, I know that bad things have happened in my life. Yeah, sometimes they do. Because we have sin in the world. And sometimes we do because you have sin in your own life. Not just because it's around you. The Bible says not to despise the Lord's discipline because he disciplines those that he loves. Discipline nowadays is a lot different than it was growing up. I won't tell you about mine because I don't know the statute of limitations. But I can tell you right now, spanking didn't mean then what sit in the corner means now. Not interchangeable terms. Okay, but I can tell you right now is that God loves people enough to actually also discipline. I had a relative that came and lived with us for a while, and his parents didn't take care of him. And he ended up coming and living with us. And you know that any time of night, never had to come home, do whatever he wants to do, seven days a week, lived like a, lived like a king. I think he was even driving their car. I mean, anything he wanted to do. Life was a mess. Came and lived with us, all restrictions. Got to be home at this time. Like when I grew up, my mom used to only let me ride my bike on the sidewalk between the two edges of our property line. I'm just like, bump. I can't get any air. My mom's like, don't go. No, I got to be able to see you. I can't see you. My mom wasn't those ones that says, come back after, you know, as long as be, be home by dark. My mom was like, I'm watching you. Where are you? I can see you. That's how she was. But this whole thing of him going anywhere he wanted to go, he comes into our house, and all of a sudden he's in this restricted world. And at first he was so angry. So upset, so frustrated, so agitated. And you know, over time, he actually told me, he said, you know what? I really like it here. I said, yeah? And he's like, yeah, people love me here. I said, well, how do you know? He goes, because they want to know when I'm going to be home. 
Like, there's some boundaries that say I care enough about you to want to see you inside the door. I want, to, I want to make sure that you're safe. I want to make sure that you're okay. And so God puts boundaries because he loves us and he wants to bless us. And sometimes he disciplines us because he wants to bless us. But we see in Genesis 1.28 that he's a, a blesser. And then he says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God is a partner. He shares with us. He's the ruler. He has no reason to give us any ability to rule, but he does. Here, you help out. Have you ever been at a job and worked for like a micromanager and like you can't even do a job? They're like, uh, hey, I need you to make that. Uh, they make that burger. I used to work at Taco Bell a long time ago, and I would try to make a burrito, and they'd pull the burrito over and stick it on a scale and say, your 0.246 ounces over. Too much sauce. I'm like, okay, watch out. I'll have to make that for you. Okay, I'll just stand and watch, and you can pay me. It's a horrible way to live. But that micromanaging God didn't do that. God gave them the ability to do something, even though he knew he could do it better. Jesus did the same thing. He sent his disciples out to heal, to deliver, and to do all these things. And do you know what? They came back, and people came back and said, why can't your disciples do what you've sent them to do? And he said, well, some come out with only prayer and fasting. Like they weren't living up to what he sent them out to do, and yet he still sent them. He knew that that was the case, but he allowed them to learn on the job. He allowed them to learn why he grows. God shares with us, even in our weakness, he wants to share responsibility. He wants to give us opportunity. Genesis 1, 29 to 30. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth eager and one that blesses and supplies and provides. Genesis 131, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Very good. And there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. God made it all and he looked and said, this is good. So what does that mean? God actually is someone who has contentment he does and he looks and he says this is good some of you grew up in homes where nothing was ever good enough some of you are in marriages where nothing's ever good enough some of them have some of you just have mirrors where nothing's ever good enough and you look in there and you're like, that's not good enough that's not good enough yet god made people that he knew were not perfect he knew and said you know what in spite of everything that's going to happen and everything's going to go, in, fact, in spite of the fact that I have to send my son down here to redeem this place and get these people out of their sin and all the problems that they have, in spite of the fact that they're going to reject me and I don't have to work through all of this. He still finished, looked at it all and said, this is very good. This is very good. Can you look at yourself? Can you look at your neighbor? Can you look at somebody who's in process and see the good? Because God is already looking at the end because his word is always true. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So even though it's the beginning, he knows the end. And he's able to rest in the end and say, this is good. It's like a good baker. Cake doesn't have to be done. They know it's going to be good. They can just tell by the batter. Oh, look at it. That's just the right consistency. This is going to be good. It'll be amazing. My daughter eats all the, all the mac and cheese sauce before we even put it in the noodles. I always have to have extra cheese on hand because all the sauce is gone. She's like, this is so good. I'm like, don't eat it all. I'm just licking the sides. Probably if you keep licking the sides, the side just keeps getting lower, and it's always the side <laughs> until it's gone. <laughs> you can't do that. We're going to put some of it in here. 
But you know it's going to be good because you know the outcome. Why? Because you're the maker. I'm the one that's baking this. I know how it's going to turn out. God knows how it's going to turn out, and he stops and says, you know, this is good, very good, how this is going to work out. So God is somebody who can rest in the completion, that can be through the process. But the problem that comes in is sin, and humanity has been and continues to be determined to redefine the relationship is that God was the creator, God gave purpose, God gave direction, God gave purpose, God gave identity, and ever since Adam and Eve, humankind has been just absolutely bent on changing all of it. It is the very word that the serpent used with Adam and Eve, that if you eat this, you can be wise, you can be like God. You can be the one that knows what's right and wrong. You can be the one that makes the choice. You can be the one that makes the decision. And so that has been their kind of path the whole time. Rejecting God leads to rejecting all of his order. We reject the one that made it. We reject all the things that they've made. I don't want to be around you. If you've ever had a bad relationship with somebody and you want to get away from it, maybe it was a parent that was abusive or something going on, you reject that and push it away. Well, then anything that reminds you of them and looks like them or feels like them, what do you do? You have to get rid of that too, right? So we reject everything that has to do with God. And so we see that over and over again. We see it on a, on a macro level, like an overarching huge level in that, like, today's Sanctity of Life Sunday. We see it in that, that, that humanity has rejected just even the sanctity of life. And I don't even just mean in the womb. I mean from the womb all the way to the tomb, the whole thing. Euthanasia, suicide, assisted suicide, abortion, the whole thing. Any stage of life doesn't have the value. People getting killed because somebody wants to take their car for a spin doesn't even want to own their car. They just want to carjack it and run it around for the day and leave it. It's worth killing somebody. Rejected the sanctity of life. Rejected the sanctity of family. And I don't just mean whether it's male and female. I mean rejected the sanctity of family. People discard marriages like they weren't even a commitment. I'm talking in every way. Family doesn't matter. In the world. In culture. They throw all these things away. Gender, we can throw gender out. We can throw humanism, we can throw the fact of just being human out. Because we're moving towards, if you, if you read anything about where things are going, future, we're moving towards what they call transhumanism, which is I don't even have to just be a person because I can put chips in, I can become part robot, I can do things like, I don't even have to just be a human. And the goal is to move our consciousness into just a computer. So I can drop it into different robots and be whatever I want to, like to move completely away from even the sanctity of being a human made in the image of God. Why? The farther we can get from God, the farther we can get from what he made, the farther we can get from what he designed, that's the goal. All the way down to a micro level. That's the overarching level, the micro level. Well, I reject that God wants me to be selfless because I want to be for myself. I reject that God wants me to be interdependent with others because you know what? I can do it on my own. I reject that God wants me to forgive because bitterness is better. It's more protective. It's stronger for me. It gives me a fortress that I can live in. I reject that God wants me to be generous because I want my stuff. Like just on a micro level, we reject and turn away from all the things that God made and made for us to be. And the result is that we're cut off from our identity and our purpose. And from the authority that God gave us to, to live and to rule in our life. Because we rejected how he's designed it. And so that's why I brought these scissors is because I was looking at this cello and I was thinking that this is a beautiful cello 
And the reason that it plays such great music, I'm glad Bella's not in here, is that the reason it plays the way it plays is because it has these beautiful strings that were designed by the designer that made it, and it works this way. But if I don't want it to work that way, because that's not how I want to do it, then I'm going to cut myself free from that, right? So if I was to do that, and I was, Cutco will, that's why I brought Cutco. And so if I, Ray, did you hear that? He said, cut the guitar, not the cello. But if I was, the problem is I'm a little more afraid of Ray than Bella, because Bella's so sweet. But if I were to cut this, everybody look up at Bella's sweet face. Um, all those in favor, all those in favor of, of taking the smile off of her face right now, raise your hand. All those in favor of me leave, oh, look at, I got, I got a police chief back here who says, cut it. <laughs> cut it. If I was to cut those, and I'm, I want to play it. I've cut it from its intended purpose, from the way that it was designed, and guess what? It's not going to play the music it was supposed to play. It's not going to work. All the beauty that's supposed to come out of it. Well, now I can use it for something else. Well, yes, I could. I could set it down. I could put coffee cups on it. I could turn it into a coffee table. Totally. We used to own an upcycle store. People did that kind of stuff all the time. But guess what? That's not a cello. It's no longer making music. It's no longer doing its purpose. And so in our self, in our lives, God's made all these things. And when we live accordingly, the music that God intended to come out of our lives comes out. The fruit, the beauty, everything comes out. It doesn't if we don't. And so I'm going to close up here in just a second. I want to read John chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And this is talking about Jesus when he came. This was God's solution to the fact that we have all cut so many strings on our cellos of our life. We all have. I don't want to live that way. Clip. I don't want to do it that way. Clip. And we've cut them all off. Yet God wants to put it back together. And so in John, he comes down. From the beginning, he was there. And now all the way in John, he comes down. He was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He comes down into earth to put this thing back together. Through him, all things were made. Going back to creation. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If we will turn our lives over to God in every area, every area of our life, no matter what it is, no matter if we think we have a better way to live it, if we will turn every single way back over to God and say, Lord, how did you design me? How did you want me to live? How do you want to string me? How do you want me to be? The song that God meant to come through your life will come through it. And if we don't, it can't. That's the importance of salvation, is that we turn our life back over to him so that we can live the life that he intended us to live through him. Let's bow our heads. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord or if you've been living outside of his plan and his will for your life and you know that, it's going to give you an opportunity to just turn your life over to him. Romans 10 tells us, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart, because that's where we make our decisions. That's what we live out of. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
If you've never given your life to the Lord, you say, you know, I want to just turn my life over. Lord, I want to live your way. I've been doing it on my own. I cut all my strings. I'm out here. I feel dead. I want to turn my life to you. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to have you come out. I just want to see you. Pray with you. See that? If you're living in a way that you would say, you know what, I know there's some things on my life. I don't even know how to fix it. I don't know how to change it. But I know I got some strings that are not strung anymore. Or they're strung on the wrong side. I just want God to come in and just redo this thing. Change some things in my life. I just want to pray with you too. See that? See one? Anybody else? See quite a few. Father, I pray right now for everybody that raised their hands. Lord, you know who they are. Lord, you know what's going on in their life. God, that they could turn their heart over to you. Lord, that they could believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Father, that they could believe in your restorative work. God, to restring the areas of their life. God, to root them deep in your love. God, and to bring them back into the image, Lord, that you made them to be. Lord, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.